0: Good morning and, and welcome to to Liberty Liberty Church. Um I'm my name's Matt and most of you know me if not all of you. Um I'm a member at, at Liberty and I've been given the opportunity to speak whilst Neil was away in New York, uh, dining out and going to different d- churches. I, I've been plugging away at this and um, no, it's been it's been a blessing to to dig deep into into the passage that we've been doing. Um, if it's your first time, welcome. If, if you call Liberty your home church, welcome. And if, if you're just visiting today, then then welcome. You join us as we are midway through a series on 1 Corinthians. Um, so the book of 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. Um, it was written, funnily enough, to the Corinthian church, the church that is in the the city of Corinth. Now, the the church in Corinth was in a bad, bad way. Um, there was disunity going on. There was um, there was Christians taking each other to court. People within the church taking people's court over petty things that didn't need taken to court. There was people getting drunk during communion. There was incest, um, and there were there were lots of divisions. Pretty much every possible division that could be was present and obvious in the city of Corinth, in particular the church in Corinth. And Paul spends the first half, um, pretty much what we've, what we've visited so far in 1 Corinthians, he spends the first half calling out the church in Corinth. Um, and then he moves in and he starts to point them towards a more excellent way, which is where we get the title for this series, it's a more excellent way. And we find that in this, in this passage. Um, so what is that more excellent way? The excellent more excellent way is love and, and we're gonna dig deep into what that is today. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12 <laughs> verse 31. Um, funnily enough, the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. Um, <laughs> they, split it up for our, um, they split it up so we could eat, we could find things easy. So if you if you could find uh 1 Corinthians 12, 31, and we'll go from the second half of that. <coughs> And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdo- wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy it in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we get to, to dig deep in a, in a, a passage of, of your word that we um, may have heard before. And we get to dig deep and, and understand what you're trying to say to us, Lord. pray for m- myself. I pray that you will use me to, to get across your word, to get across your message that you want us to hear today, Lord. I pray that if there's anything that I was going to say that you don't want me to say, that you'll take us away. And if there's anything that you want to say that I didn't have planned, that you will just put it on my heart to tell people and you'll make it obvious, Lord. I pray for the people here today, Lord. I pray that they will leave today knowing more of who you are and loving you for that. I pray that we can worship you through today. Amen. Amen. Cool. Like I said, we're in a series in 1 Corinthians, but we find ourselves in a sort of mini sub-series within the books, a series within a series. Um, And that series, mini-series, is looking at the spiritual gifts. Now, this part of 1 Corinthians, chapters 12, 13, and 14, just focus and hone in and just focus on the spiritual gifts. Paul calls out the Corinthian church for how they were doing them wrong, and then he gives them a framework for how they are to be used and how they are to be practised. Now, Corinth, it was a a cosmopolitan hub, um, just as a wider city. It had people from every... Every potential culture, every different background, um, rich, poor, um, business types, um, people who made stuff with their hands. Like, it had everyone in there. It was multicultural and it was divided. The city was divided and the church was divided. And after Paul had planted the church, he went away and factions started to appear had people using every opportunity they could get to make themselves look big and to put other people down. And this extended to the use and the practice of the spiritual gifts. And we find 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 13, right at the centre. It's sort of sandwiched between two um, how-tos on the spiritual gifts. And we find this centre as the core. Now, for me, one of my favourite movies ever, is the Princess Bride. Okay? Don't judge me, it's a top quality movie. Okay? You look good in a dress. <laughs> and in, in the movie, there's a part where the dread pirate Robinson is is chasing after um three people who have stolen the princess. And as as he gets closer, he jumps over hills, he climbs, he crosses like infested waters and he, he gets away from people and each time he does one of those things the guy in the boat who's stolen the princess turns around and he goes inconceivable and just over and over and again inconceivable inconceivable and then one of his partners in crimes his name is Inigo Montoya which is the best name ever <laughs> um, he says he says you keep using that word I do not think you know what it means okay so let's get this out of the way 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 13 is not about marriage I don't think you know what it means. If you're planning on getting married, um, anyone please don't use this as a as a verse. It's, it's not about marriage, it's not about a romantic type of love. If you did use it as as your a passage when you got married, it's a bit late, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But it does not mean what we think it means and how the church often just brings it out at weddings and then puts it away to never be found again. Preach it, not preach it. Okay. So we find it, like I said, sandwiched between two chapters where Paul's unpacking the spiritual gifts. And this passage, it starts off as Paul telling off the Corinthian church. So Neil took us um, two weeks ago through um, the second half of 1 Corinthians 12, where the church had been elevating different members up and um, elevating different roles within the church as more important than the other. And What Neil pulled out and what the passage pulls out is everyone is equal in front of the cross. There is no one who is more important than anyone else in the church. And then Paul ends this um, portion of of scripture with the phrase, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The Corinthian church had taken the gifts, something beautiful, given to us by God, and they had employed them in the wrong way. Verses 1 to 3 of of um, chapter thirteen, it says, "If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have not faith, and I, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at tongues, healing, and prophecy." across the three weeks individually. So I'm not gonna dig deep into them today, but come along and be, be present for, for those three weeks. But the church had missed something, the Corinthian church had missed something vital in their practicing of these spiritual gifts. They missed love. Beth and I um, rather foolishly allowed um, Gideon's granddad to buy him a drum kit um, a, couple of, a couple of months ago. Uh, yeah, Beth's mum and dad. Um, and this drunket this lives in Gideon's room. And there was, there was one Saturday morning, and for those of you who know me, I don't get many lions. But it was 8 o'clock, which for the, the parents among you, that is a lion. Anyone else, it's not. Um, and it was peaceful, it was lovely. We could actually hear birds. I think they were pigeons, but they were birds. okay, And it was peaceful. And then all of a sudden we hear bang, 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 crash, crash, crash. And the symbol's going on Gideon's drum kit, And the peace and the quiet and the great part of that morning was just ruined. It was taken <laughs> away, it was, it was disrupted. That's what Paul is saying is, is, is like the gifts here. They should be peaceful, they should be great, they should be perfect. But they are ruined because of a lack of love. The clashing symbol cymbal is noticeable gongs are noticeable it contrasts with the picture of harmony that paul was setting out in chapter 12. the lack of love shown by the corinthian church was a symptom of the brokenness of how they were viewing their gifts and how they were interacting with god and with his people if i speak in tongues but have not love i'm noisy clashing symbol prophetic prophetic powers and understand all mysteries but not love i am nothing if i give it all away but have not love, I gain nothing. Now this applies to the gifts, but it also applies to wider Christian life. The first two, we've got uh, tongues, we've got prophetic powers, they are listed in the gifts. But to give away nothing, that is just something that we are called to do as Christians. So yes, Paul is talking here about the gifts primarily, but he is also including wider Christian life in this. If we have not love, we gain nothing. John Calvin um, said, the main truth of this passage is that as love is the only rule for our actions and the only means of regulating the right use of the gifts of god nothing in the absence of it is approved by god however magnificent it may be in the estimation of man no matter how much we elevate tongues or prophecy or wisdom or teaching if we don't approach it with love it is worth squat it's worth nothing The Corinthian church had forgotten love. They'd left it behind in pursuit of their self promotion, in pursuit of building their own kingdom so they could worship themselves. Now this serves as a warning for us. As we step into seeking the spiritual gifts, as, as we sort of take that step and move movement in that direction as a church, we need to guard our hearts that we are not going for them for self promotion, because it will be noticeable and it will be pointless. Love is not about self-promotion. The opposite to love isn't hate, it's pride. Sin, at its fundamental core, is about saying to God, my kingdom is more important than yours. The love that we find in the Bible, it doesn't relate to talents, and it doesn't relate to gifts or any abilities that anyone has. It relates to dying to ourself. It requires it, it requires selflessness. It requires us to say, I am willing to die to myself so that I can love another brother or sister. It requires me to die to myself so I can open up the way to love God. Love love is a more excellent way. But in this society, it's it's broken. It's got lots of connotations that really don't fit well with it. So I love my family. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love books. I love food. I love the city. I love La Plaine. I love Esquire. Up seven. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what you were about to say, <laughs> <on that. laughs> I, love, I love football, like those, those types of things. Also, for some of you, love might have a broken meaning. Maybe people, people have said that they love you, but they go and hurt you. Maybe you've lost people that you have dearly loved, and now it's painful to love. Maybe your understanding of what love is has led to years of pain, fear, and heartbreak. Maybe you've been seeking love for for what feels like forever and you've just not been able to find it. Maybe your version of love is about getting what you want, how you want it, and when you want it. All of these types of love, they come with conditions. And our society just doesn't get it, it doesn't get love. But it's what every single person, you look at how they act, how they talk, how how they think, everyone is craving that love and affection that they just can't find it but all the places that they've been looking can't deliver what they need. The same was for the church in Corinth here. Their ways of of showing, giving, and using the uh, spiritual gifts lacked love. It was noticeable. Paul spends a bit of time unpacking what love is, and as a result, he shows all the things that the church in Corinth wasn't. Love is patient and kind. The church in Corinth were all about satisfying themselves, they weren't waiting for the poor to arrive so they could have communion. It's all about now, 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 give me what I want now, now, now. How often do we do this? How often do we want what we want now? Are we patient? Or do we often set aside God for lesser but more immediate pleasures? There's a band I've been listening to um, called Beautiful Eulogy. They're a rap group. I'm not saying that to sound cool, but you know. Um, Beautiful Eulogy, they, they have a song called Messiah. And, and this is part of the, um, the, the verse that they, they do, and it says, the saddest fact is that I search for satisfaction, as if I lack it when I, in fact, I lack nothing. That's the reason for my lacklustre of prayer life and my lust for distractions. It's so easy to see in hindsight. And then it goes on to say, Hope deferred, so I prefer the immediate, and I exchange the true God for what seems more expedient, it's meaningless. In seeking the gifts, the spiritual gifts, we need to be patient. Because God's timing is perfect. God God knows when and what gifts to give at the right time. So if there's a gift that you desire, if you are hoping for the gift of prophecy, if you are hoping and desiring the gift of tongues or wisdom or teaching, be patient. Patiently rest in the knowledge that God has it in hand. He knows what he's doing, even though we sometimes doubt that. If we are not patient and waiting, um, waiting and praying for the gifts, it's a sign that we want the gifts more than we want the giver. And if that is the case, then love remains absent, and the gift that we want so much become meaningless because we have got them without love and without God. Love is patient and kind. Second one, love. <coughs> pardon me. Love does not envy or boast. Now, envy and boasting—it's two sides of the same coin. Um, envy for when we lack something, and boasting for when we have plenty. It's all about ourselves. It's all about building up our own kingdoms, making ourselves up big, or desiring what we think we need at the expense of other people. We should be w- There's no space for envy or boasting for the Christian. It, it just doesn't, It's not compatible. It's not one of those things where you can have, have both. It's either envy and boasting, or a life in pursuit of what God wants. There's no space for it. We should be wishing well for other people. So if we see people gaining a gift that we want, we should... Worship, we should say, that's fantastic for you. Let me praise God because of the work that he has done in your heart and for what he is doing for you. We should be living as living sacrifices. We need to die to ourselves in order to love well. So there's no room for pride. There's no room for boasting. There's no room for envy or, or jealousy. Love concerns itself with the good of others. Why do you want the gifts of tongues? Why? Why do you want the gifts of prophecy or, or teaching or wisdom or discernment? Like, why do you want those? Is it so that you can feel good about yourself? Is it so that we can uh, maybe seem more important in the eyes of others? Or is it so that we can use those gifts to worship God and proclaim his word? Don't envy or boast in the gifts that have or haven't been given to you. But instead, boast in the giver of those gifts. Love does not envy and it does not boast. Love is not arrogant or rude and does not insist in its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Pride does not acknowledge that I can be wrong. It insists that its way is the only way and is the right way. So if that's you, if your way is the way and the the right way and the only way, then I'm afraid to say, or I'm not afraid to say, it's the wrong way. If your way is any way but the way of Jesus, then then you've gone in the completely wrong direction. And love will escape you, and the gifts will escape you. Pride says, I know best. Pride is short tempered, it's irritable when it doesn't get its own way. But love is humble. Therefore, we should be humble, setting aside our preference and our own desires for something that is better. Don't think of yourself as being above any of the gifts. I don't think, I don't really want that one. There's a, there's a satire um, Facebook page called the Babylon Bee and one of the articles that it, it has on Cycle is um, local church man depressed because he is given the gift of hospitality. <laughs> 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 because people don't want them, want other people in their homes really, they, they, they like having their, their, their own space, their own kingdoms but... But how can we take that? How can we say to God, no, that gift isn't good enough for me? How can we say that when we don't deserve any of them? Each gift is a glorious blessing and a gift that was given to you by God. So don't let your own perception of your own importance or my own importance distract us from what God is doing in our lives. Yes, seek the gifts. Yes, have a desire for a certain gift. But the desire... but. Desire the gifts that God has for you rather than the ones that you think that you need. Don't be arrogant. The purpose of these gifts primarily is about the building up of God and the building up of His church. And we benefit and we are blessed as a secondary um, positive from them. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love rejoices with the truth. Live in a world where if you disagree with someone, you either hate them or you stay quiet and you affirm with what you, you, affirm what you disagree with. That's, that's the sort of narrative that society is, is telling us and rolling out for us. Even if you can see it was harmful, even if you can see that they are living a lie, even if you can see that what they are doing is just plain wrong, it's not seen as loving to call them out on it. That isn't love. If you're in a plane and it was crashing and you saw someone putting on a parachute, but they were putting it on wrong, they were putting it on at the front or something like that. And you said, mate, you, you need to turn that around. You need to take your parachute off and you need to just put it on this way. This is the right way. And they said, no, no, this is the right way. And you didn't push and say, no, you are wrong. This is life and death. You need to have this parachute on the right way. Is it loving or is it not? course, the loving thing is to say to someone, "You're going to die if this is if this is the way that you carry on." So why do we back off? Why do we think that love is only affirming what people are doing? It's just wrong. Society have got it mixed up. Love is seeing that a person is wrong, and then doing all that you can to point them towards the truth. And yeah, there are ways to do that lovingly, and there's ways to do that unlovingly, and we need to practice for ways that are arising which are are humble and which are are winsome but we still need to say yes this is true and this is not love doesn't celebrate wrong love rejoices with the truth to love people is to protect them and to save people from the wrong when they can't see it themselves and to point them to the truth Similarly, similarly the gifts can be practiced well or they can be practiced wrongly but they can only be practiced when they are in. Um, they can only be practiced in a right way when they are in line with what the Bible says. That is our. That's our sort of our marking sheet for whether or not the 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 gifts are being practiced well. Do they in, call, come in line with what the Bible tells us? God's word is true. So if you are practicing these gifts or seeking gifts outside of the framework. Sorry, God's word is true. So if you are practicing these gifts. Without love, or you are seeking gifts that for outside of the framework. Not that they are d- definitively list, but if they come completely outside of a framework of what God is saying, we need to reevaluate. We need to take a step back. We need to repent, and we need to just focus in on what the Bible is saying to us about the gifts. Love rejoices with the truth. So likewise, the pursuit of God through His gifts needs to be done with love and the attent and attention. With a love for and the intention for this framework that he has given us. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things and love endures all things. So what it's saying there is love covers all failure. Love is unmovable. Love is fully trustworthy. Love perseveres and love never fails. Now some of you might be getting your heckles up a little bit about that, saying like getting like, all... Oh, up and say, no, it's only God who does those things. It's only, oh, only God who covers all failure. It's only God who is unmovable. It's only God who is fully trustworthy. It's only God who perseveres. It is only God who never fails. Love can't be all those things. Love is broken. She left me. He hurt me. They didn't want me. I constantly fail to love well. Check out verses 10 to 12 of chapter 13. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So it talks about a mirror there, doesn't it? It talks about seeing in the mirror dimly. Now, the mirrors we have nowadays are, are perfect, depending on if you're happy with what you see. Um, <laughs> but the perfect they, they give a true and accurate representation of what is being reflected. But the mir- mirrors they had back then, they were big sheets of brass, and they'd have like curved, they'd have bumps in them, they wouldn't perfectly show what is being reflected. And because it's brass, you couldn't, you couldn't see color as well. And what you ended up with is an imperfect and distorted view of what was being reflected. When the perfect is come, then that is, then that in which is, when the perfect is come, then that in which is in part shall be done away. Love is broken. The love that we sort of see being practiced out and about on the streets in, in our homes, in, in in various environments, that's broken. When we see it being practiced, we can only see part and a distorted and imperfect view of what is being reflected. But the perfect has come. The only perfect display of love that has ever been continues to have effects for all of eternity. It happened a couple thousand years ago, give or take, and it is still affecting people today. And it will continue to affect people for all of eternity. Jesus dying on the cross for those who made themselves enemies to God. Because we are, because we have sinned, because we have driven a wedge between ourselves and God, we are unable to love wholly, to love completely. Without God, that is not possible for us. But because God has given us a common grace, uh, a grace that is available to to everyone, um, Christian or not Christian, we can experience love as we understand it in a daily in, in a daily sense. That's why we can see people outside the church loving, and how we can see. Um, children loving before they, they know who God is. But it's like looking through a dirty window. It's like looking in that, that brass mirror where we can see a distorted vision of what is being reflected. But on the cross, we see love perfectly. All other variations of love are designed by God to, to reflect the way in which God loves us. So while we were still dead, when we were dead in our sins, when we were guilty of treason against God, when we were unlovable, Jesus steps in and gives us the love that we didn't deserve. He died on the cross to give us that life. And it is the love of God that bears all things. It's the love of God that believes all, all things. It's the love of God that hopes all things. And it's the love of God that endures all things. And it's the love of God that will never fail. Yes. There is nothing that escapes the love of Jesus. There is no sin that his love can, cannot cover. There is nothing that can shake the love of God. There is nothing Um, and the love of God is fully secure and trustworthy the love of God is everlasting it doesn't fade it doesn't fizzle out the love of God never fails the work Jesus did on the cross will never fail and because that never fails that's what we should be marked by we are setting our identity on a platform on a foundation that will never fail us we are setting our foundation on the love of Christ and that is what we should be known by in this community in our families to our kids That's what we should be known by. Jump with me to 1 John 4, verse 7 to 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that's Mm. Jesus, that God sent his only Son to the world, so that we may live through him in this is love not that we have loved God but that he is loved us he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation that means the, the exchange for sacrifice for our sins beloved if god so loved us that we if god so loved us we also ought to love one another no one has ever seen god if we love one another god abides in us and his love is perfected in us By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god god abides in him and he in god so we've come to know and to believe that the love that god has for us um, and so we've come to know and to believe the love that god has for us god is love and whoever abides in love abides in god and god abides in him by this He has seen cannot love God who he has not seen and this commandment we have from him whoever loves God must also love his brother we've been marked by we set a foundation on the love of God and the right consequence the right outpouring of that is that we love God and we love his people so how do we seek this so yes we seek patience and, and and kindness Yes, we turn away from envy and boasting. Yes, we we flee from our own way and we seek the way of God. Yes, we rejoice in truth and hate wrong. But the most loving thing that we can do that surpasses all of those things for each other and, and for ourselves is to love God and to tell people about the gospel. And we were able to do this. This is something that we have been equipped for, that we have been given as a a job to do by by Jesus himself. And we've been been equipped for that because of the work that he did on the cross. The Holy Spirit, the one who gives these gifts, equips us so that we are able to love others. We've had love and grace poured out on us. Now the gifts are the blessings that he has poured out on, on the church, but without love they're worth nothing. Without love, without the love of Christ, without that foundation, the, the gifts are empty and meaningless. If the gifts listed here in 1 Corinthians, in Romans, in 1 Peter, do not point the receiver of those gifts to the giver of those gifts. I don't want them. If it's a choice between having the gifts and having Jesus, they lose all meaning, and we, just, we should run, we should turn away, we, we should never get them out of the rapid. there's um, a common sort of image that is, is put out by lots of people in the church and it's that of a, of a cup and God pours into the cup and, and then when that cup overflows it, it, it pours out onto the people around us. So when we are full of God, it, it comes out and it overflows and it pours out among us. Okay, That's good to a point, but it's sort of saying that the stuff that God pours into us and, and overflows, we're giving out what's not what we don't have the, the extra bits for us, the bits that, that we, we, we've topped ourselves up, but we're, we're happy to, to let everyone else have the dregs or um, the bits that pop out over the end. That's not right. It should be, we should be pouring one big mm-hmm. cup. We should have people pouring, we have, should have God pouring into us and then sharing that amongst ourselves. The love that God poured out for us is pouring out into us, and we need to be bringing people into that so that they can get it from God. That's our foundation. Michael Buble, the, I'd, I'd say, society's mouthpiece on, on love uh, in, in song. Okay. Especially at Christmas. Okay. okay, he was asked a question, he's, I think he's promoting a new perfume or something like that, I don't know. But he was asked a question What is the meaning of life? And he, the reply that he gave was, he's not a Christian, it's just a, a reply that he gave and he probably means something different to what it really means, but he says, I don't know if there's a a sentence to explain it. There is a word, though. Love. It's all about love. The meaning of these gifts, the meaning of the spiritual gifts, is about love. And the way in which we show that is pouring out and showing to people about who the giver is. The meaning of life is about love. It's about the love of our saviour. It's all about the uh, love that was shown on the cross. And it's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for for loving us. Thank you that when we were unlovable, uh, everything about us said, don't come near you. You sent your son to die for us, Lord. Thank you for for the love that you showed and that your son showed and that you continue to show by imparting your spirit on us. I just want to worship you. I want to lift you up, and I, I want to love you. We we adore you for that. I pray that if there's anything that, that pulls us back, that stops us from um, enjoying that love that you have given to us, that you will take it away, Lord. I pray that you will fill us with a passion to go out and to share the love that you have shown us with our with our friends, with our family, with the people who know you, with our neighbors, with our with with our churches, Lord. I just pray that you will. M- move there Lord where you, you will see people one and, and growing in their affections and their love for you and each other Lord thank you for making that possible thank you for using us as vehicles for that Lord. I pray that you will be glorified through it all through the through the gifts I pray that you will um, fill us with, with your love so that we can we can practice those and as we desire them Lord I just pray that we will not forget the point of them that we will not forget that you have given us these gifts to make your church great and to make your name greater. aren't oh, no.